move. Guess I'll just have to take it out on you. Take your best shot. All right. 
uh, baseball in the Dominic Dominican Republic after that. Uh, a little bit further down the road, we got the Pittsburgh drug trial. So I got a lot of big research kind of uh, things coming up. So I'm going to hit you guys off with a shortstop pod today about Moses Fleetwood Walker. And while Nolan Ryan holds a plethora of monumental records that really appear to be unbreakable, right? Well, Moses Fleetwood Walker, he only owns one. And he only owns one record. That record is he is the first black man to ever play Major League Baseball. And uh, like I said, I got a lot of these big shows coming up, so... I'm going to hit you guys off with a shortstop pot. I mean, you can understand. Big Red Machine, that's going to be a big show, right? Nolan Ryan was an hour. I usually try not to go past, you know, 50 minutes or so. And Nolan Ryan was a big one. Big Red Machine's going to be just as big. So uh, I want to thank everybody for being here today, for this week. And uh, that's, uh, let's, let's dig into a little bit of Moses Fleetwood Walker. I, I rarely ever hear anyone speak about him. Certainly haven't seen any podcast shows about him. So uh, let's dig into it. Because, you know, before Jackie Robinson dared to smash that color line in 1947, there is this all-forgotten Moses Fleetwood Walker. I like to call him the man that time has abandoned. Although, technically, he probably is the second black player to ever play in the majors. In 1897, William Edward White was caught up for one game. But because White was biracially... A uh, biracial kid identified himself as white, as did his teammates and the fans. The honor of being uh, first is not really bestowed upon him. Walker was of mixed race as well, but he was unapologetically identified himself as black. And he was the first to experience the full weight of racist vitriol and threats of violence for players and fans alike. Moses Fleetwood Walker was born in the eastern Ohio community of Mount Pleasant on October 7, 1865. The third son born to Moses W. Walker and Caroline O'Hara Walker, both of whom were of mixed race. So this is shortly after, uh, this is around the time when the Civil War is ending, and so it's going into post-Civil War. His younger brother, Weldy, was also a fine baseball player as well. And he would become the second openly black man to play in the majors. By 1870, the Walker family moved to Steubenville, Ohio, where the elder Moses worked as a cooper. He would later become one of the first black physicians in Ohio. And he was also a minister for the local Methodist Episcopal Church. And known as Fleet in his early adulthood, his relationship with baseball began as a youth in Steubenville. At 20 years old, Fleet enrolled at Oberlin College for a prep program towards other universities. And he established himself at the catcher position while batting leadoff. And baseball was still an interclass game when the college opened play on a new field in 1880. And Moses would actually christen that new ballpark with a grand slam in the very first game. The next year, Walker was to anchor on the school's first intercollegiate varsity team. 
And that led the team to a blowout victory over the Michigan Wolverines. And because of his performance in that game, the Wolverines baseball team gave him a transfer offer, and he gleefully accepted. And just before making that move to Ann Arbor, Moses would take a sweet semi-pro gig uh, in August of 1881 with the White Sewing Machine Company of Cleveland. The very first game was in Louisville, Kentucky against a team called the Eclipse. And they were like this uh, MLB precursor, uh, future charter member of the American Association, which was the major leagues. The Louisville Courier Journal would report that with Walker playing and on account of his color, his team had to pull him from the starting lineup. Ironically, his uh, replacement, Broke his hand in the first inning. Now, remember, this is the days of bare-handed catchers. And the guy with the broken hand, uh, he refused to re-enter in the second inning, of course. So, with the players on the Eclipse, the Eclipse howling their grievances and objections, Walker stepped on the, to the field to take over the coach catching duties. The newspaper article that I read, it also says that the crowd was actually behind Moses as he was literally dazzling the fans with his powerful warm-up throws and fearless barehand catching. Uh, unfortunately, two racist shitbirds on Eclipse, they couldn't wrap their puny, closed little minds around playing on the field with a black man. Uh, their names, quite honestly, don't matter, so I won't be saying them. They deserve nothing but dusty remains, blown away by the winds of evolution and history. But because of the incessant crying, Moses was forced out, and the Clevelanders would lose 6-3. to three. However, hopes were high for a successful spring of 1882. Uh, baseball season at the University of Michigan. Fleet had greatly strengthened a team's weakness behind the dish. The Wolverines came out of the gate white hot, winning 10 of their first 13 games. And Walker was the Wolverines' leadoff hitter, and he was their leading hitter in average and power. But his bread and butter was his defensive skills at the catcher position. The college newspaper even refers to him as the wonder. In July, Moses married Bella Taylor in Hudson, Michigan. Uh, shortly after the marriage, he would go on to Newcastle, Pennsylvania to play some ball. It was there for the first time. Uh, he would go on to play professional baseball. And thankfully for us today, it was covered extensively by the local press. And I have to admit, after looking at all these articles, it was great press. By 1882, his uh, summer exploits at Newcastle launched his rep as a top-notch catcher. And Newcastle is about 50 miles north of Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh has always been like a historically, racially progressive city. Um, especially after the Civil War, many blacks would, uh, basically, blacks in the South would emigrate to places like Newcastle, Pennsylvania, in search of uh, industry jobs, warehouse drop jobs, textiles, Instead of, uh, you know, agricultural, if you know what I'm saying. So, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, always been this racially progressive city. 
the fans, they fell in love with Moses. They welcomed him in as a member of the Nashonics. And the team was billed as an amateur outfit. But Walker and some of the other cats, they, they were getting paid. And the local press gave rave reviews for Fleet's play calling. They uh, designated him as one of the best catchers in the country and a gentleman in every sense of the word, both on the field and off. And unlike every other newspaper covering Moses that I could find, the Newcastle papers never mention his race. So after his remarkable season, Walker left for Ann Arbor to resume his law studies. The following spring, 1883, Walker did not play at Michigan or at Newcastle. Instead, he left school to become a pro baseball player. William Volts, manager of the Toledo Blue Stockings of the Northwestern League, he offered the catcher a contract, and it would be the spark that would ignite the hemorrhoids of racists everywhere. An effort was made to end Walker's pro career before it even started. A representative from Peoria, Peoria, he made a motion that no color player be allowed in the league. That motion was fought bitterly because of Walker's uh, presence on the team. And it was finally laid on the table in a bitter defeat. Now. You have to understand that catching in the 1880s was a tough gig. The only tool of ignorance that Moses usually deployed was a mask. And according to a Toledo Bat Boys recollection, Fleet would sometimes wear an ordinary lambskin glove with finger slits, and they would be slightly padded in the palm, but for the most part, he just caught barehanded. And Walker proved to be a durable iron hand. And he would go on to compete in the uh, 60 of Toledo's 84 championship games, as well as most of their pre- and postseason games as well. He hit 251, but it was on defense where he excelled and made major contributions to Toledo's pennant-winning season. The local newspaper, the Toledo Blade, it said, quote, Walker has played more games and has been of greater value behind the bat more than any other catcher in the league. The beginning of the end began when a future Hall of Famer and racist shitbird, Cap Anson, brought his Chicago White Stockings for an in-season exhibition game on August 10th, 1883. And the outspoken bigot was an outstanding baseball player and a larger-than-life leader. Not only with the franchise, but also with the, uh, the league suits. And his views, of course, were neither foreign nor unique at the time with regards to baseball or the country. But Anson had power and a platform and his prominent position made him a major factor for the segregation of Major League Baseball. The Toledo uh, Daily Blades lengthy account is not at all complimentary of Anson or his team. Furthermore, after I read it, I was kind of shocked to see the article was not only exceedingly supportive of Flair, uh, Fleet, but Toledo's management actually came to his defense, and it also suggested that the fans and the city stood in solidarity with Walker. 
And I'm going to go through it right here. This is how parts were written. These are not my words. These are from the Toledo Daily Blade. I know some people want to whitewater, whitewash kind of history, but we don't do that here. I give you the history straight up. And this is what was written. Walker, the colored catcher of the Toledo Club, was a source of contention between the home club. Shortly after their arrival in the city, the Blue Stockings were informed that there was an objection by the Chicago Club to Toledo's playing Walker, the colored catcher. And uh, it goes on. Walker has had a very sore hand and had not been intended to play in yesterday's game. And this was stated to the Chicago Club. And not content with this, the visitors declared with swagger. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but you got to love a newspaper article from the 1880s with the word swagger in it. But I digress. Not content with this, the visitors declared with uh, swagger, for which they are noted that they would not play with no nigger. The order was given then and there to play Walker. And the beefy bluffer was infamous. Uh, let me do that again. I'm sorry. The order was given then and there to play Walker. And the beefy bluffer was informed that he can play or go and forfeit the gate if he pleases. It goes on. Anson hauled in his horn somewhat. And consented to play, remarking, we'll play this game here, but won't play never no more with that nigger in. Toledo manager Charlie Morton called Anson's bluff, but Anson's bold statement proved to be true, as history's mighty wheels are set in motion, and he never did play against Fleet after that. The incident on August 10th, 1883 in Toledo brought the issue to the forefront, and we began an open, blatant, and successful effort to bar black players from organized baseball. Toledo's success of 1883 propelled the city's team into the American Association for the following season, which is basically the major leagues. And the Blue Stockings with Moses, they did not fare as well. They finished 8th in a 10-team league with Fleet only playing in 42 of 104 games. Uh, ahead of a game in Richmond, Virginia, Charlie Morton received a disturbing letter threatening to send a 75-man mob on Walker if he would show up and play the game. The letter says, uh, We only write this to prevent much bloodshed, as you alone can prevent it. You know, those motherfuckers right there. It's your fault. <laughs> I just, the logic, uh, just the logic, it blows me away. Four days later, Toledo released the 27-year-old Walker, even though he was their uh, third best hitter on the team and arguably the best catcher in the majors. In fact, Tommy Mullane, who was the power arm of the Toledo team and their workhorse, he loathed having a black man as his battery mate. And he once said, Fleet was the best catcher I ever worked with, but I dislike Negroes. 
Whenever I had to pitch to him, I used to pitch whatever I wanted with no signs. So one day he signals me to throw a curve, and I shot a fastball at him. He caught it, came out to me, and he said, I'll catch you without signals, but I won't catch you if you're going to cross me up when I give you signals. And for the rest of the season, he caught me and everything I threw at him without knowing what was coming. Simply put, he is the best catcher that I ever threw to in my life. And Fleet would never return. But he played five more seasons for some, well, poorly run minor league teams in Newark, New Jersey, Cleveland, Toronto, Syracuse. Alas, the, the Negro Leagues, they, they were not a viable option yet. So, Moses Fleetwood Walker, final MLB stats. Played one season, 1884, just like you heard Jason Robards in the beginning of the uh, show. That was from the movie. What movie was that? Little Big League, I think that's called? I'll have to get back on that. Uh, final MLB stat for Moses Fleetwood Walker. Played one season, 1884. 42 games, 166 plate appearances, 23 runs, 40 hits, 2 doubles, 3 triples. He finished with a 263, 325. 641 slash and a 106 OPS plus. Now, after his career, Walker was no less singular figure. Um, in a testament to a staggering box office power and name brand recognition, Fleet earned $2,000 for a summer's worth of work at a time when your average employee was lucky to pull down $10 a week. Uh, $2,000 in 1884 is worth roughly $58,000 in the 2022 economy. And while he was languishing in the minors, he assumed control of a handful of Grand Ohio theaters. He served as an editor of a black newspaper called The Equator. Uh, this newspaper explored and debated topics such as African repatriation, and these topics would inspire Moses to write the 1908 book entitled Our Country Home, which has been heralded as the most learned book ever written by a professional athlete. Listen to this. He patented three inventions for improving the changing of movie reels and another for an artillery shell. He was a postman who would serve a year in prison for mail robbery. <laughs> in spring of 1891, he killed a man and was charged with second-degree murder of killing a white man named uh, Patrick Cur Curley Murray in Syracuse, New York. Murray and a group of thugs looking for trouble. They were outside a bar yelling racial epithets at Walker. Uh, Murray escalated the situation of violence when he threw a rock hitting Fleet, uh, Fleet in the head. A knife to the stomach was the fatal retaliation, and he killed Murray on the spot. The job of apportioning blame had fallen on the shoulders of an all-white jury. Patrick Murray was known around town as a criminal, and his mugshot was prominent in the local police's rogues gallery. And also, the star witness, another fellow named Patrick Murray, he never showed up to testify against Walker's self-defense argument. 
the jury would come back with a not guilty verdict. And there was so much celebrating in the gallery that the judge, George Kennedy, splintered his gavel trying to restore order. Pretty amazing. 33 years later, May 11th, 1924, Moses Fleetwood Walker dies at his Cleveland home from pneumonia at the age of 67. And as much as Jackie Robinson deserves credit for his progressive play, let's be crystal clear. It was Moses Fleetwood Walker who was the first to endure the cruel racism and hatred. And any time that we speak of groundbreaking athletes who change sports forever, you should always remember Fleet, for sure. And the further and further we get away from him, he just becomes more and more forgotten. And there you have it, folks. The amazing life of the always forgotten Moses Fleetwood Walker. And if you'd like to know more about Fleet, you can uh, find content on him at YouTube. There's also plenty of books out there, including the one Moses wrote, entitled Our Country Home. And look, I'll tell you what, also check out my friend Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, on 8th and Vine Street. In fact, I did an interview with Mr. Kendrick during the pandemic, and we touched briefly on Fleet, among other things. So you can see that interview in full at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. And look, I got to give my man Curly Neal a shout out. I mean, he is a huge fan of the show. And we got to talking at the golf course this week. And he's a Midwest guy. So I told him I'm doing a, I'm doing a story on uh, Moses out of Steubenville, Ohio. And he was like, there are so many celebrities and such that come out of Steubenville besides those two that it's crazy and of course my curious mind I I gotta see for myself right and sure enough he was 100% spot on Raleigh Fingers Newt uh, Frank Hauser Joe Gilliam Chaz Rowe poet uh, Richard Haig John Bucigras from uh, ESPN Tracy Lords uh, the porn actress Jimmy the Greek Dean Martin the fucking RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan are you kidding me Wild Sherry, and many, many more. Man, I love doing this show. And I gotta tell you, I never even heard of Steubenville, Ohio before. Never, never, was never even on my radar of Steubenville, Ohio. Man, just the things I learned from the research of this show. I love, love, love this show. And I hope you do too. So please remember to subscribe and all that good stuff. Next week, I told you, brace yourself. We got the Big Red Machine, probably one of the most dangerous lineups, one through nine, this game has ever seen. After that, I got baseball in the Dominican Republic. I got, I got it all coming, man. I got the Pittsburgh Drug Trials of 1979. We're about to dig into some real deep, deep, deep topics, folks. 
So I hope you stick around. I hope you love, love the show. We're going to have Big Red Machine next year, but uh, next week. But you know what? That's another story for another pod. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day. <laughs>